Wonderful. Good morning, everyone. Yes, for those who don't know me, my name is Mornay, and I have a beautiful wife. I'm the husband of one wife. Uh, she's sitting here in front. Re- her name is Rebecca. Um, and in almost yeah, less than a month, we will be married a year. So, yes. <laughs> it's been great. It's, it's all that the Lord has intended for our lives, that I can promise you. Is, is our marriage. Um, yeah, she is yeah, everything the Lord has, has intended for me to grow in and to, to shape and to mold. And yeah, can I actually just, yeah, I just want to pray for us again. Can I, can I maybe do that? Can you just close our eyes? Yeah, Father, we worship you, God. We adore you, Lord. And this morning, Father, we are here to listen to you. God, and to to see you rightly, Father, and I pray, God, that you would come this morning, Lord, and that you would have your way. Come have your way in our midst, Lord. We worship you, and and we acknowledge you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In your name we pray, Father. Amen. So this morning, I want to build on what Richard started a few weeks ago, and, and that is the purposes of the church, and I am speaking about something that is very dear to my heart, and, and I actually believe it should be dear to the heart of every Christian, actually, and that's about worship, and that we as the church exist to worship God. It is our purpose on this earth to worship God, to make disciples, but to worship God. And it's not a matter of being in the mood. It's not a matter of feeling, but it was actually given to us in the great commandment. In Matthew 22, verse 37 to 38, Jesus is speaking and he's saying, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And I think you can imagine when Jesus said, all your soul, all your mind, and all your heart, he meant it all. We exist to worship God. It was never our idea to, to worship him. It was never our initiative to say, as man, I want to worship God. But it's actually something that was birthed in the very presence of the Father. It was something that came from him. It was his initiative. And there's so much that can be said about worship. And I think if you look through the scriptures, you'll see that obviously scripture speaks about God as the infinite God. So you can imagine that there's a lot of scriptures that speak about God. And in Psalm 145 verse 3, and I'm going to use three scriptures, and I would just like to paint a quick picture. In Psalm 145 verse 3, it says that great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. And then in Psalm 113, verse 46, it says, The Lord is high above all nations, and His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high and who looks far down on the heavens and earth? And then in Isaiah 40, verse 28, it says, Have you not known? 
Have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends and of the earth, and he does not faint or grow weary? His understanding is unsearchable. And when the authors there use the word unsearchable, it's, it really means that it's unsearchable. That there's so much we can say about His greatness and about who He is. And the other day I was just list, not listening to myself. I was just thinking to myself that He would give us that privilege. That He would choose us to bring Him glory. That He would choose us to receive His Son. And through that, a way has been made. And even Andrew last night at the gathering also said that He would choose people like us. And in that moment you think, man, it's not I have to worship God, but actually I get to worship Him. I get to bring Him glory. I get to bring praise to His name. It's a privilege. And I think if you look at the state of worship in some modern churches, and I've, I've not been saved many years, but in, in a few years I've seen what modern churches and worship look like. And if I compare it to the Bible, it's gone astray. Somewhere something has been twisted. And the reality is that worship has become seeker-sensitive. And not Holy Spirit sensitive. And churches are more focused on making their worship relevant, making their songs new and modern, instead of truth, theology, and the presence of God. Instead of focusing on the one who is to be worshipped, the one who is seated on the throne, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And worship in modern churches has become about sold-out concerts, platinum albums, and songs that facilitate goosebumps. But it was always meant to be about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not the lights, the cameras, and the action. But about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It was always meant to be about them. And I actually did a little bit of research, and it's staggering that in 2016, a study was done showing that three out of four people choose a church just based on its style of worship or its worship alone. Three out of every four people. So if you take this amount of people in account, imagine three out of four people sitting here just on the style of worship. And some of the reasons that the people mentioned was, I resonate with the worship. That was the reason they gave for joining the churches. I resonate with the worship. And while reading that, I thought about something that I saw in a movie a while ago, and I call it the, the fangirl mentality. So you picture two girls driving in a car, and they're on their way to someone's house, and, and all of a sudden the most hip and happening rock band or boy band, I don't know what's relevant now, pops up, and you can imagine these girls freaking out like, oh, yes, I love them. And they go, oh, they're so awesome. And they speak about the lead singer. They speak about the guitarist, about the drummer, and he's here, and, and that guy. And did you see he broke up with that girl? And it's a fangirl mentality. 
Because they resonate with them. But our worship was never meant to be about what we resonate with. It's meant to be based on who God is and what He has done through Jesus. And I think we all have different ideas of, of what worship looks like and, and what it should look like. And, and we all come from different backgrounds. And, and I grew up in the Dutch Reformed Church, the Engia, and my father as well. He got baptized in the same church, got married, everything. We stayed in the same town just because of that church. And my sister is also in Josh Jen. And every now and again, he would come and visit him and my mom. And he would join us in worship. And then after, afterwards, he would make a joke. And he would say, yo, you guys stand for a long time, eh? And that's obviously because our worship is quite long sometimes if, if the Holy Spirit moves. And he said, these guys would stand for a long time. And then when I would go back home and visit them, the one day I thought, hang on. And I actually told him this. We, we made a joke. <laughs> I told him, we stand once very long. You guys stand a few times, a lot. <laughs> but it's just we all have different backgrounds. We all relate to worship different in some ways. It's, it's how the Father has created us. But at the very core of our hearts lies the love of God and our wanting to worship Him. And actually, I believe Jesus revealed this ideal way from God, what God has intended for us in worship in John 4 verse 23. And Jesus is speaking and He's saying, But the hour is coming and it's now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. And just quickly, I want to pause there and imagine that. Imagine the Father seeking His worshipers, looking from heaven, saying, where? Where are those worshiping in spirit and truth? Where can I make my presence home? And then Jesus goes on and he said that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And I really believe that if Jesus said that this is God's way, his ideal way of worship, our only possible response is to respond in that way. And I just quickly want to look at, at those two. So I just want to take a sip of water. And I actually just quickly want to look at those two in worshiping in truth and worshiping in spirit. And plainly put, worshiping in truth means that we are, what we are busy practicing and that what we are busy singing is rooted and grounded in Scripture. And it's focused on the truth revealed to us about God through Jesus. It means that what Jesus revealed to us about the Father should compel us to worship. And it means that our worship is not formed by feeling, but by what is true. That's when we worship in truth. And then moving on, worshiping in spirit. It means that to worship in spirit is to worship with a life laid down and a life poured out, but being filled with Jesus. Jesus. 
as you do it. It means that it's the Holy Spirit who, awaken, who awakens our hearts from apathy towards passion. It means that what we pour out on God when we worship Him is not from ourselves, but it's from Him, for Him. And to worship in spirit means that your worship is rooted in such a deep and sincere love for God. And Jesus has said many times that that love is not from us, but it comes from the Father. It comes from His very presence. Our privilege to love Him. And I love what, there's a guy called Sam Storms, and, and he, what he said about worship, and he said that if you come to worship for any reason other than the joy and pleasure and satisfaction that are to be found in God, you dishonor Him. For God's greatest delight is your delight in Him. <laughs> and reading that quote, I'm thinking, this is a random guy. But I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, Man, if I don't come to worship to find my greatest, greatest delight in Him, I actually haven't arrived at all. And I promise there has been many times where I have come to the front or even stood at the back and saying, God, I'm, I'm just here. I want to enjoy you this morning. I just, I just want to be in your presence this morning. But actually there's a stepping out and coming and saying, God, my delight is in you. My fulfillment is in you. It's Him and Him alone. His greatest delight is our delight in Him. And even through worship, there are so many physical aspects of worship. You get the lifting of hands and, and jumping and shouting and dancing. I've even seen People, actually, my brother-in-law and sister in the Isle of Man, I saw a video where they were sookying, like, during worship. And I thought, yeah, even for me as a charismatic, it broke my box. <laughs> and the other day I was watching a, a guy called Tim Hawkins. Oh, and he's a, he's, a, he's a Christian comedian who does songs. And he's got these brilliant illustrations of the physical aspects of worship, of worship where he says, you know, you've got the... The TV carrier, this is now he shows the moves. So if, maybe I'll stand a bit back. So you've got the TV carrier. So just picture me with both hands, sorry. <laughs> you've got the TV carrier. Then you've got the flat screen TV carrier. So there's another different styles. He says, and then you've got the heartburn. You've got the heartburn. He says, and then you've got the woman's favorite one. It's the wave for the check. Wait for the check. Wait for the check. And then there's, he said, you've got the screw in the light bulb and everything. But this morning, I, I don't want to go into the physical. I really don't. Because worship starts off spiritual. It doesn't start physical. It starts from here. And I promise you that if we, as a congregation, take on what Jesus revealed to us about the Father's idea of worship, it will result in the physical. It will result in the lifting of hands. It will result in jumping, in shouting, in praising. It will result in the physical. 
But it starts in the spiritual for us. And there's a concept that as a young Christian growing up and, and being saved into a charismatic movement where I would always hear the phrase of, of what I then consider the worship greats, you know, like Mervis and all those guys, where they would say, worship needs to be costly. And I thought, what, what does it mean that our worship needs to be costly? But because to be honest, if I come to the front, I'm not really bringing anything physical. It's not like some churches where money is thrown and, oh, worship. It's, it's costly. But what does it mean? And I believe it's revealed through Mary in John 12, verse 3, where she took her alabaster jar that was expensive and she poured it on the feet of Jesus and she wiped his feet with her hair. And I actually went and, and I did a bit of, of sums and, and I saw that in that day that that jar alone was worth 300 days of salary. And in one moment, she poured out a year's worth of wages. In one moment. And so many times I've read over that scripture and I've thought, okay, great. She's, she poured out. But no. She showed that our worship needs to be costly. That when we come to the Father, when we come to His presence, when we come to worship Him, whether it's corporate or personal, it actually needs to take of us. It actually needs to take of us. And in taking, we actually receive just because He's good, <laughs> because it's His way. And then lastly, and I actually want to use my Bible for this one, Just as I'm finishing, I want to read a, a piece of scripture that is probably my favorite scripture in the whole Bible. And it's the revelation that John saw. And it's in Revelation 4 and 5. Oh dear. Oh, Siri is also listening. <laughs> Sorry. We've tried to convert Siri, but she doesn't want to. <laughs> I promise we have. She does. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but John is speaking about the throne in heaven. And this is, I, I cannot get enough of the scripture. And John said, and after this, I looked and, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here. And I will show you what, what must take place after this. And then he goes on. And he's speaking about the throne. And he said that he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And he says, and around the throne were 24 thrones. And elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. 
And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire. And around the throne on each side, he's saying, it sits the four living creatures. And he, he goes on and he explains the four living creatures in that piece of scripture. But he says that day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And you think day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy. And he said that whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him and they cast their crowns, saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. And you think, these guys, these 24 elders, have thrones in heaven. But they have the humility of coming before the throne and saying, worthy are you, God. Casting their crown, saying, God, this is your glory. This is what you've done. It's you we are worshiping. And in the last part, he speaks about the scroll and the lamb. And he says, Then I saw at the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within um, and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll? Who is worthy? And he said, and I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. And then one of the elders said to me, Weep no more, for behold the Lion of Judah. The root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll. And in all of heaven, in all of heaven, one was found worthy. One. And it's the lamb who was slain. It's the one who opened this door of worship for us as a church, as his people. It's the one who expects nothing but our very, very most. And he's not harsh. He doesn't lord it, thou shalt worship me. But he actually invites. And he says, come. Come and feast. Come and behold. And you can imagine in that moment when that elder said to John, behold. Can you imagine what that looked like? Can you imagine... What he saw. And when I started leading worship, knowing four chords, I read that scripture and I, I tried to make a little song saying, Oh Lord, I want to saw what John see or see what John saw. But just imagine that. And imagine after that how a life would look if they saw that. If they saw the only one 
in heaven found worthy. This is the God we worship. This is the Jesus that we have as a friend. This is the one who paid it all. This is the one that when the elder in front says, come to the front and worship, it's actually an invitation to be at the very, very part of where he is. This is the God we serve. It's the God we worship. And just looking at those two stories about Mary pouring out her oil and John seeing what he saw. Mary worshipped because she truly knew him. And John worshipped because he truly saw him. We will worship him with passion when we truly see him. When we ask to see him. And we will truly worship with passion when we ask to know him. And he'll be faithful to reveal himself. He'll be faithful to reveal himself. This is the God we worship. This is a God we get to praise. The one that's closer than a brother. Closer than a friend. But he's still the God of the universe.